0: Hey, friends, I'm Sharon Betters, and this is the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries, and I am really excited to introduce to you Andrea Herzer. Andrea has written a beautiful book called Incurable Faith, and she is a credible witness to what Incurable Faith is all about. She has especially written this devotional for those who are struggling with long-term illness, recurring illness, lingering illness, unexplained illnesses, because she has experienced this in her own life. And I'm not going to tell you her whole story, I'm, she's going to be sharing her story, but This is for anyone who has had their hope dashed. Maybe you have been ill and you were better, and then you received another diagnosis. Or for those who are caregivers, for someone who is struggling with that kind of long-term pain and illness, I'm so grateful, as I said, to have Andrea with us today. And Andrea, just welcome. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Thank you for inviting me here today, Sharon. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story with others who are enduring similar challenges. Everything you mentioned, I've been through and, and more because mm-hmm. the complications and challenges of multiple diagnoses and long-term illness. It's no respecter of persons, right? We all, we all live in these bodies and this is not our forever home.
0: Yeah. Well, why don't we jump right in? Be- actually, before we jump right in, tell me a little
1: about your life right now. Well, today <clears throat> I am a empty nester reluctantly. <laughs> but an empty nester just the same. And my excuse me, I'm having <clears throat> I'm having a little bit of asthma today, so if you'll just bear with me, my voice sometimes cuts in and out. But My husband and I live right outside of Austin, Texas, and I spend my time mostly writing, writing my monthly newsletters and writing articles and working on my book and being on podcasts. And I have the beautiful honor and privilege of being able to reach out to others with my story and the things that I've been through with the last 20 years of experiencing health challenges to uplift other people amid their own battles.
0: Yeah. Tell us about your story. Cancer is part of your story. Why don't you start with
1: with that? Yes, I discovered a lump. You can probably see that scar right there. Mm-hmm. Discovered a lump in my neck on Christmas evening in 2016. And I have a, one of the best ear, nose and throat doctors on speed dial. His name is dad. Mm. So (laughs) I called my father and actually, no, actually I texted him because he was on a cruise. So he's enjoying the, at the time he was partly retired. Now he's fully retired, but I texted him a picture of my neck and I said, what is this? And he just texted back, it looks like lymphoma, but don't worry, it's treatable. Hmm. And so I looked up lymphoma. And now at this point, I had already been through decades of serious life-altering health challenges. Hmm. So I was a little surprised, but at that time, I was not afraid.
0: Hmm.
1: I had moments of fear as I went through the battle, but I knew God's faithfulness, and I knew that whatever it was he already knew, it wasn't a surprise to him. Hmm. So when I went to the doctor, the doctor didn't even think it was lymphoma, and then and then we saw that it was throughout my entire body. And it was aggressive. I had two forms. One was indolent and it comes back very easily. And it's one that I will treat probably unless the Lord does a miracle, Mm. I will be treating it every few years for the rest of my life. Mm. So, but the aggressive one is now after aggressive chemotherapy, it's now in remission. And as Mm. I mentioned before, The truth is, my cancer story actually began probably about 15 years before my cancer diagnosis. And that's because the Lord is always preparing us. And when we enter into an unexpected challenge and we don't feel prepared, Mm And we just come up empty. There's a, there's a scripture where it says, this happened. Paul is talking about his hardships and he says, this happened. So we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so I've found that to be true in those seasons where I, I come unprepared to an unexpected challenge. Then I have the hope and the expectation that the Lord is going to do something powerful and he's going to meet me where I am, even if that means going through a season of deep lament or grief. So when, when my health issues started, I had just given birth to our third child and I found myself unable to care for my children some days and bedridden in pain, going from doctor to doctor, and it seemed like every part of my body was just breaking down. I I had a I had to do procedures f- from my OBGYN and from my urologist. I had installations and different procedures there, cystoscopies and things that that other people can probably relate to. I had a neurologist, a rheumatologist, a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and related issues with that. And so I soon learned that an unhealthy fixation with all my broken parts, my entire broken body was just breaking me further Mm -hmm. because I was searching for healing more than I was looking after the healer. And so those are some of the lessons I learned before I even was diagnosed with my cancer. Wow. You also had what's called complex regional pain
0: syndrome. Was that before your diagnosis with cancer? Was that part of the mysterious illness that they were having trouble diagnosing?
1: Looking back, I do believe that I did have complex regional pain syndrome that was undiagnosed because it was in an area. It's usually in li- in different limbs
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it was in an area of my body that was not in a limb. So I don't think they recognized it as such until in 20, let's see. And I had multiple surgeries and procedures and all sorts of things. And then in 2009, an accident I don't know if you can see the scar there but an accident to my dominant hand I'm left-handed led to a diagnosis of complex regional pain syndrome which it's actually been in the news lately there was an article in People magazine last week that that discusses it but it is a rare thankfully rare cuz I wouldn't wish this on anybody but it's a rare neurological disease that also has autoimmune components And it can spread throughout your body. So mine spread and I have it in my feet, my knees, internally, in my hands. And it's excruciatingly, debilitatingly painful. So I was, I could not walk without a walker. I couldn't take one step out of my bed without having to lean on a walker. And I had to have a shower chair. I was in a scooter. We got a lift system for the car. We bought a new car just for my scooter and made all these accommodations so that I could get out of my house and try and take my children places. And so I, that's the life that I was leading when I was diagnosed with aggressive cancer.
0: And how old were you
1: when all this was happening? Well, I was the same age i am now twenty three no i'm kidding i was i was let's see i guess i was thirty when i was first stricken with health issues and then when i was thirty eight thirty nine when i got c r p s and and then I was in my early forties when I received my cancer diagnosis and I still have cancer today and I still have complex regional pain syndrome. But I want to say this for people who are living through the nightmare of their bodies just breaking down and they don't know what's causing it and they don't know what to do. And they're feeling like they will never recover. I had moments like that where I was bedridden. I was isolated by illness. And I talk about that extensively in my book. The seasons of being isolated and then trying to ask myself, what can I do despite the limitations I've been given? How can Mm -hmm. I serve the Lord in the midst of these things? And there's a quote that I have in my book, and it's from Matthew Henry, who is a biblical commentator from, I think, the 1600s. And he he wrote in his Bible commentary that Jesus told the disciples to do what they can when they cannot do what they would. And that was like, it just leapt off the pages for me because I couldn't do anything that I would like to do, but I could do what I, what I could, I could do some things. And one of those things that I did was just, Whenever the Lord gave me encouragement or whenever I found something in the scriptures that just spoke to my need with these challenges I was facing, I would write it down in my journal. And I filled maybe 10 to 12 journals full of devotions throughout all of these years of health issues. And that all of that became my book, curable Faith. So,
0: your book took 20 years to write, I would say. 20 years of living. Almost. And yes, it reading. was rough. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, while you're. It did. Um, and that's just, I was just going to say. So, when the Lord is calling you to something, just be faithful where you are. I didn't know what was going to happen with it, I just knew the Lord was calling me to write. Nobody knew about my writing. It was just tucked away in journals for years and years. My family knew, but they just thought, oh, mom has a little hobby. you know. <laughs> they, they didn't realize that it would one day become a book. And so when we're just faithful with the Lord and, and doing what we can do in those moments, and maybe it's, maybe it's just a word of encouragement to someone. And maybe it's praying for someone. It's not always a visible thing. Maybe it's just the position of your heart praising the Lord when you're in pain or bedridden. And when you're faithful, the Lord really does maximize that seed that you're planting. And he raises a harvest.
0: Yeah. I have a plaque that says the little things are the big things. And that's what we see is that what seems like a small thing in God's economy is a big thing. And like you said, planting a seed that is he, it's up to him what fruit he brings from it as we walk in obedience. I'm imagining you as a young woman having blow after blow, diagnosis after diagnosis, probably with very little respite in between. How did you hold on to hope during those, those disappointing seasons?
1: Well, I think in my early years, that was far more difficult because I didn't have the blessed gift of perspective. Mm. And now, as I'm older and as I've seen the Lord's faithfulness throughout every single challenge, and I've seen the way that He provides when I need provision. And the feast that his word is when I am hungry, I know that God is going to work in and through everything that seems like a setback, as difficult as it may seem. And you know, the word hope is really interesting because we use the word hope very loosely, kind of like we use the word love. You know, I love coffee, I love my kids. Well, That's that's a vast divide, right? Between how much I love, although on some days, you know, it comes a little closer depending on how tired I am. (laughs) But hope, when I really did a word study on the word hope in scripture, it's never used in the sense of placing our hopes on temporal things and on things that don't last. So it, it made me realize that faith endures when we anchor it to hope that is sure. Mm -hmm. And my spiritual life shifted when I stopped placing all of my hopes in circumstances or things that may or may not happen. All of my hopes rest in Jesus. And I trust that if Healing on this side of heaven, if that is his best for me, if that is how he is going to bring about the greatest glory and honor for himself in my life, then, then I know that he will heal me on this earth. But I have the hope of eternal healing in heaven. And that eternal perspective gives me patience and perseverance as i journey through this life.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's that's a, a
0: wonderful perspective and so true. In so many ways we live in a broken world, but i love what you're saying about if this is the, what god's plan is for me to glorify him. And we we don't know that except for where we are in the the day the prep, where we are, you know, where our feet are, be where our feet are in that present moment is saying, how do i glorify him in this? I would imagine though that part of your journey has been lament to like we lost our sixteen year old son Mark and his friend Kelly in a fatal car accident and someone a friend said you have to lean into the pain and lament. God is not afraid of your questions. And what what do you what have you learned about lament in this journey? Some people think it's like a sign of weakness. What what do you think
1: about lament? Well, first, I just want to say that I know that you've used that pain to reach out to others and their pain. And it's a redeeming thing, but it's also a choice that we make. And it can be a really difficult choice because it's it's a, there's a human tendency to want to hold on to bitterness or to want to be angry. People talk about being angry with God and they always say you can be angry with god he can take it but the truth is i can't take it hmm. i can't take being angry with god that is that's not the relationship that he designed to have with us yes we can we can pour out our lament to him we can say why lord why did this happen we see that all through the psalms and i know that lament is a beautiful act of worship and it connects us with the heart of our father so that we can finally receive his comfort when we settle down and our questions run out and we we've just exhausted our pain to him in prayer so when we come to the lord with our grief and our sorrows and all of our pain that's that's the act of lament, and it's how we move through that pain and back into restored hope. Is, did you find that to be true? Absolutely,
0: because I had all of this grief and disappointment and sorrow in me. and I, as a pastor's wife, i the night of Mark's death, even, I said in my communication with the Lord that i I'm a pastor's wife. I know what people expect. I teach women that they they can trust the Lord to build broken bridges and bring beauty from ashes. But tonight I feel like I lied because I don't know how you're going to do that. But I'm going to be transparent. I'm not going to be what people expect. I, I just it's need to key. be a grieving mother. Yeah, I just need to be a grieving mother. And and if someone says, I see Jesus in you, I'll know it's because he is in me, not because I'm pretending. I knew I couldn't pretend. And so for me, the lamenting was through journaling and reading my Is highest and streams in the desert and watching God give me treasures in the darkness. Isaiah 45 became my touchstone where he promises to give us treasures in the darkness, which is stored in secret places. So that, as you have said, not that he's going to heal us. We don't know that he's going to do that here, but that we will remember he is the word, our God, and he calls us by name. So it's a very personal journey of lamenting, and I, 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 I truly back. That was thirty years ago, and so that was a time where lament was not something that people admitted to doing. Right. It was you have to be. That's stoic. right. When
1: I was first sick, it was the same.
0: It yes. was the same.
1: I didn't know, and now I'm able to share with others, and I actually have. I'll give you the link so you can put this in your show notes but Mm -hmm. I have a blog post that I wrote about lament. What is lament and why do we need it? And I talk about a friend of mine who has served the Lord in ministry for, I don't even know how many years, I mean his entire life has been Mm -hmm. in ministry and then he was diagnosed with cancer and he said, I can't believe what's coming out of me. I thought I would have so much faith and I thought I would, and I'm just saying, why Lord, why would you allow this to happen? And the beauty of that is he's still in a conversation with the Lord about it. It is an act of faith. He's going to the Lord with his grief. And so, yes, people don't share with you that that lament is so good. And you, you made a comment that it's not what people expect. And so one of the beautiful things about being honest with God and honest with others is it breaks us out of performing for somebody else's expectation Hmm. or even being performative with, with the Lord. And I know for me, when I first became sick, one of the lies that he absolutely shattered through my season of deep lament was that my faithfulness as a believer should protect me from any sorrow, any harm, any pain, any suffering. And I think that that is a lie that a lot of people buy into. And the minute they have suffering, it's like when Jesus talks about the, the seed dropped on rocky path and, and, or the weeds that grow up. And when life's troubles come, they, they aren't faithful. And I, found that i needed to confront my false belief that god owed me mm-hmm. that was hard it is
0: hard and i i think we would probably when those life doesn't go crashing down and things are good we would say we don't believe that well of course we don't believe god owes us of course we don't you know we don't believe that but in our heart of hearts when the world does come crashing down it definitely shows as it reveals things about our hearts that we didn't even know were there. But after I had was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it was after I had surgery, and I was, you know, I didn't know what my diagnosis or prognosis was, and so I was praying and asking the Lord to help me understand what the next days were going to look like, and He gave me that scripture from Isaiah where He says, "I'm going to give you the treasures in the darkness," and I knew what he was saying. He was not saying, I'm going to make it all better. You're going to be fine. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be healed. I, I had no reassurance of that. What I had was, you're not alone here. I'm calling you mm-hmm. by name. What's more personal than that? And so right. the treasures are designed to turn our hearts toward him. And I totally agree with you. I believe, I believe lament when we're turning our hearts toward him, we're running toward him, we're communicating with him. To me, that's that's strong faith. That's not weak faith. Strong right. faith because of him, uh, uh, obviously. He enters the weakness in us yes. and, and brings strength there. So it's not shameful. It's it, it's part of our journey that is necessary to teach us about his character, but also about our own hearts and where he wants to make things different. So. I appreciate your perspective. I, I appreciate what you're saying. And it's true, I, I resonate with your friend who was who's saying, where did this come from? Well, it's it's there. But, but God, as you also said, he prepares us just as I feel like the breast cancer helped prepare me for when we were going to lose our son, Mark, because he had already walked with me through a very dark time. And so his faithfulness was very real in my own heart. You, you talk about hope. You've talked about hope a little bit. How do you keep hope alive? Like we know, I mean, the listening audience, viewing audience does not know that you're in pain right now, that this is hard for you to give some of your energy to this platform. So how do you, living with that 24-7, how do you keep that hope and trust alive on a pra- in a practical way?
1: Well, I think the rhythms of a spiritual life with Christ are key to keeping hope alive. And so realistically and practically in my life, that means that every single day begins with prayer. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who live with chronic debilitating pain, It's far easier to remember to pray because just to get out of bed, it's, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Give me all that I need today for life and godliness through my knowledge of you. Father, just walk with me, fill me with you, and help me to rise up out of this bed and walk. Mm -hmm. And so the day starts like that, and then I don't go a day without going to my front room mm-hmm. and well and on days when I, i'm just bedridden then this this looks a little bit different but i go to my front room and i have a floral rocking chair that i sit in with my bible and my journal and i dive into god's word i take my phone i look up greek and hebrew words so that i can get every last bit of treasure out of the verses. And then the Lord will often give me, you know, I'll read a passage and then it'll jog my memory. Oh, I I see that same concept over here. And so I write about it and I just dive into my time with the Lord. I pray and I worship. I listen to music. I have, you know, a music platform that I like. And so I'll listen to worship songs and that really, you know, pain can lie to you and you can get discouraged very, very easily. So when I fill my thoughts with truth and when I fill my mouth with praise, Mm. it really does fuel me so that I can conquer the day to the best of my ability But I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that I have a group of powerfully praying friends. And, you know, in the verse I mentioned earlier, where Paul talks about the hardships and that this happened, so we might not rely on ourselves. He also goes on to talk about God has delivered us from this and he will deliver us. And then it says this, and I love this. It says, as you continue to help us by your prayers. Mm-hmm. Then, many will give thanks for and i don't i I'm, I'm misquoting here, but basically it says many will give thanks for the grace given by God in answer to prayer. so that tells me that when we are facing challenging times, the prayers of other people really do assist us mm-hmm. and help us through them, and not only that but it's going to help their faith when they see how God answered the prayers. And so it's a beautiful reminder of the power of a praying community. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you've covered so
0: much territory in in those few words where the the power of community. I think community is one of the best gifts that God has given to us. And I think he sees it that way. Mm -hmm. Think about Jesus, his last words. He was talking about, Lord, may they be one there's so much power in community. And I mean, even when our own grief journey, the the biblical, the treasures of encouragement that God gave us through the people who love him, they carried us. They just simply carried us. And prayer for sure. There were times we would say, people must not be praying because we felt so weak and incapable of taking the next step forward. So such power there in prayer and connections. What if someone is in that place of a lingering illness and they're not connected. They, they feel completely isolated. Maybe they were in a, a very active role in their local church or they, you know, they just can't do the things that they used to be able to do, it, do and they don't have that circle of friends around them. What would you recommend to that person?
1: <sighs> well, it's, it's really hard for people who are healthy and have gone on in their active lives to remember to reach out to those of us who they don't see very much because maybe we're homebound. Maybe the only time we get out is to a doctor's office. And so I think, and I do talk about a myriad of ways that they can restore connections with people, some of it. And I'll be honest, some of it might require forgiveness of people who have let us down. And I say in my book that if you have not been offended during your sickness, you either have not been sick very long or you haven't been listening because there are plenty of opportunities to take offense from the person who says, gee, you don't look sick and kind of, and you could just tell that they're questioning Mm -hmm. uh, the reality of your pain or or maybe the friend that you thought was going to be there through thick and thin and you just don't see them anymore. They're not reaching out to you. And I think sometimes people are scared that, well, I'll refer to this. So I've been really studying the story of the Good Samaritan. And what I noticed in that story is that there were plenty, you know, the two, the priest, the, the Levite, they were busy. They were going off to do their good things. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be unclean by ministering to this man who was bleeding. And so they they wanted to avoid him so entirely that they crossed to the other side of the street and mm-hmm kept right on doing their religious good things. And sadly, I think that that even happens in our churches today because they, people don't want to undertake the distraction of meeting someone who's broken down by the side of the road. But what does Jesus say? He says, this is the good neighbor. The good neighbor is the one who ministers, who, who helps tend to somebody's wounds. The good Samaritan is the ultimate caregiver. But yeah. we can also see in that passage, and I love this, because he didn't just give up his entire life and stop conducting business and spend mm. all of his time ministering to that, that sick person. He found resources he delegated, he took him to an inn, he paid the innkeeper and he said, now I'm going to go conduct my business, but I'll be back. And so I think from that, we, we really can learn something. Caregivers sometimes do have to give 100% of the time for a season, but it also shows the importance of, of delegating and of not ignoring those who are in your path. Hmm. So back to the original, I know I got off on a rabbit trail there, but back to the original question, I I do think it's important to maybe reach out to that friend who's been on your heart, who you miss,
0: Hmm. let
1: them know you miss them. Let them know that maybe just a phone call that you're not going to try and take over their lives with, you know, every need because God longs to be our provider. Mm. And when we recognize the Lord as our provider rather than people, then we can approach them in a spirit of grace and mercy and love. And when they are able to minister to our needs and help us, we can just have appreciation and gratitude Rather than entering into that dance of that power dance where we're trying to elicit help from them when we we can really release them. And I think that that's that's powerful. That is
0: powerful. And I I think that's one of the reasons why some people are reluctant to get involved because they think, I I can't do everything. I can't do all the things that they're going to expect me to do. And if I do one thing, they're going to expect me to do something else. And so there's that story. I never really thought about the Good Samaritan that way before, that he was able to go about his business because he pulled the community together to help. And so that leads me to another question is, how can the community, the the local church, stay connected with those who are isolated, I I remember one woman telling me that she had, she was a Bible study teacher, she led special events, I mean, she was totally involved. And then she wasn't. And she said, "I, I felt worthless, purposeless, but I also felt friendless, because my friends were not staying in touch with me. So what can the local church do to try to eliminate some of those emotions and feelings?
1: I'm glad you're asking that, and I'm actually hoping that my my local church will allow me to speak on that issue because it's not just an issue in in our community. It's an issue. I have friends from places all around the globe that are experiencing isolation in their health issues. And they are active, beautiful, lovely Christians. Some of them are authors and speakers through through these kinds of media and, and platforms, but they feel abandoned and neglected. And I actually had, and this is a beautiful, beautiful Christian woman. She actually prayed for me this morning, and she's a lovely woman. But years ago, when I had had an emergency surgery and nobody was reaching out, and She mistakenly sent me a request to make a meal for someone who was healthy, Mm. but the woman's husband was ill and it, it hurt my heart. And I said, I, nobody is even making us meals and I'm in bed and I'm recovering from this surgery. And she said, it's the sad truth that out of sight, out of mind, and we don't see you volunteering anymore. And so people just, and this was She didn't intend that to hurt at all. Mm -hmm. It was her processing through. Why is it that people aren't reaching out? Because I think when you're part of a group, there is almost a social pressure and obligation to take care of people in that group. And Mm -hmm. that's part of the rationale behind large churches encouraging their members to get into small groups. But when you're sick... You can't necessarily attend a small group or it's maybe not even wise to attend a small group mm-hmm. if you're undergoing chemo and things like that. So let me share a really practical way that a friend of mine who was very, very sick, how people reached out to her in her illness. Mm-hmm. And I asked her permission to share this because It's such a powerful example of something that is so simple for someone to do, but it's so powerful and meaningful to her. And I'd say that the first thing that we do with someone who's sick is we don't assume. We ask. We still respect that they are people who, if they're able to communicate, will be able to tell you what it is that they need. And so this friend of mine, She has been through two different types of cancer. Mm. Then she went through a stroke. She has a feeding tube. Mm. And the love of her life, her precious husband, died. Oh, my. So, Mm. So she was grieving beyond the bounds of what any of us can even imagine. And she wanted to go be with him although she helped raise his children she never had her own children so she was alone and she stopped feeding herself through her feeding tube mm. because she was in that much grief and so a friend in our mutual cancer support group who the leader of the group went over to her house got into bed next to her held her hand mm. and prayed with her and just lied there with her and just let her talk if she wanted to or they just sat there silently kind of like job's friends before yeah. they opened their mouths <laughs> they yeah. really they really did the right thing when they went out to meet him and sat there silently mm. but what what this friend did and i think it was the leader of the group it was holy spirit inspired mm. She said, would it help you if we had people calling you three times a day to remind you to use your feeding tube Mm -hmm. and to take in nourishment because you need nourishment and God has a plan for you and you need to be here. Mm -hmm. And so they started calling her three times a day. Simple phone call. Different Mm -hmm. people signed up. It wasn't always the same person, except the lady who called in the evening was also a widow. This was seven years ago, and she still calls her every single evening, and they read a devotion together, and they pray before they go to sleep. Mm. And all of that started by one person meeting someone in their pain Mm -hmm. and doing the simple thing.
0: Wow. What a story. What a beautiful story. Thank you, and thank your friend, for giving you permission to share it because what she's amazing. Yeah. What what an incredible teaching moment. Well, Andrea, as we're putting, pulling things together and we have to end our time together, I'd like it. If you would just think of that one person who is listening, who is really struggling in their own pain, their own illness, maybe they're just losing hope and they're not even sure how to get to a place of hope. Can you just talk to that person for a few minutes?
1: Yes. I'd like to just remind someone whose heart is losing hope not to let your actions be guided by a hopeless heart. And I say that because when you are living with pain, there's a temptation to want to just be rescued from the pain mm-hmm. and a lot of times people in chronic pain or maybe even emotional pain make choices to harm themselves and a hopeless heart can be restored mm-hmm. so i i want to just remind you that every Day is a new opportunity for God's mercies and his grace and his beauty and his power and his compassion to find you. Your health issues, whether they be mental health, physical health, spiritual health, your health issues are not a barometer of the Lord's love or favor or blessing in your life. Mm-hmm. And when you when you can really grasp that and know, like David says in Psalm I think it's Psalm 27. Wait, maybe I'm wrong, but it, it, he, he repeats it actually through scripture, but just that it's in the 23rd Psalm that his mercy, his goodness are going to follow you all of your days. And in Psalm 27, he says, wait for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Take heart, wait for the Lord. So I think that's what I would say. And I'd also remind people that the Lord calls you his beloved. He will never ever leave you or forsake you. And in Proverbs, we see that, and this is such a pivotal thing, that the proverb says that a person's spirit helps them to endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? And so from that, I really started realizing the importance of taking care of my spirit. And you can uncrush a crushed spirit through hope in the Lord through Mm -hmm. expectation, through praise that gives rise to joy, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Mm -hmm. So there is a path. This is not, this is not it. When you are in despair, there is a way out. There is a path out. And so I just want to leave that encouragement for someone who really feels that they're giving up hope.
0: Mm Andrea, thank you so much for such wonderful words of comfort and encouragement. And I would add to what you just said, get Andrea's book, Incurable Faith. It is a beautiful book of devotions, and she includes worship music throughout in, I think, for every day, that where she's talking about worship, turning the crushed spirit around so that it is not crushed anymore, and how God uses that community of people who are singing and writing music that comes from their own souls. That's part of community too. And so I would encourage you to get Andrea's book and to allow God to use it. To, you've got a friend in Andrea and her message is one of incurable faith and great hope. And Andrea, I'm so grateful that you could be with us today. If someone wants to reach out to you, learn more about you, what where would you send them?
1: I would love for them to... Visit me on my website, and that's Andrea A N D R E A Herzer H like horse E R Z like zebra E R com. I was a first grade teacher, and that just never leaves you. So, <laughs> but they can visit me there. I have resources for caregivers on my blog, and I also like to send people a monthly newsletter that has scripture filled prayer and devotions and encouragement
0: so i want to highly recommend that
1: you visit andrea's website
0: subscribe to the newsletter that's another means of experiencing joy and turning that crushed spirit around, filling your soul with God's word and with God's truth. I'm Sharon Betters, and I hope that our conversation, my conversation with Andrea is acting like salty peanuts, that you want more, and one way of getting more is by getting her book, Incurable Faith, visit her website. You can also go to helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org where you're going to find more stories like Andrea's and more resources that are designed to help turn your heart toward Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us and I look forward to being with you again.